guess I might as well move over here. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. So Father, we thank you that we can gather tonight in the glorious name of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you that as we approach your word tonight with hungry, teachable hearts, that you're going to speak to each of our hearts and that we're going to glean from that which comes out tonight and grow in our knowledge and understanding of you that we might more effectively serve you. And so we just thank you tonight. We bless you tonight. We ask you to minister by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Just a reminder, everybody's probably familiar with this, or because we've done it now for several years, but next Wednesday evening there will not be uh, any services um, because of Thanksgiving Eve. And uh, so uh, we stopped that several years ago so that people could travel and so on. So there won't be any services next week but then of course there will be the following week and so uh, praise the lord well we're continuing our series our study we're looking at the balance of grace and faith but there's a balance between the two of them and so um, just reading from your notes to get through our introduction god never intended for us to live exclusively by either grace or faith we need both and uh, you would hope that that would be obvious but it really isn't um, you know when the message of grace began to come around and uh, you'd see people that were um, heavy into the word of faith message that they um, there were those that felt like you know, you were forsaking the message of faith. Well, grace doesn't work without faith. You've got to have them both. But the other part of it is, is you know, I've, I've always felt that if the truth is true truth, um, it builds. You know, that's the thing that I found, about, found out about the Word of God, is that when you, when you get a hold of the truth, you build upon that truth. It's not like Every time you turn around, you have to tear apart something that you've already established. No, if it's, if it's really based on the Word of God, it's going to build upon what you've, what you've already heard. And, you know, in fact, Brother Hagen, uh, he was the one that made the statement. He said, you know, when you get a hold of um, my truths, the things that I've shared with you, he said, take my books, take my tapes. Uh, outline them, memorize them, preach them. But then he said, but don't stop there. And basically what he's saying is, take the truth that I've given you and build upon that. You know, when I was getting ready uh, to move to Missouri to go to Bible school, my pastor stopped in to see me and to say goodbye. And, and um, Pastor Elian, <clears throat> and he says, you know, he said, Dave, I really believe you're doing the right thing. And he said, you know, the, the, the reason for that is what I see coming out of our seminaries uh, is the same thing year after year after year after year. The reason for that is they were receiving the same thing year after year after year after year. Well, 
God didn't stop bringing revelation after Luther or Wesley or any of those great men of God. Uh, he continues to open his word of God, the word up to us today. And so that's why it isn't just grace. It isn't just faith. It's, it's a combination of the two. Of course, we've talked about the fact that um, grace is God's part. That's what he's done for us. And faith is our part. Faith is how we appropriate we, what we receive, what Christ has already done for us. And, uh, you know, we've had some uh, teachings on Sunday morning where we've talked about um, the completed works of Christ. And that's what faith does, is it doesn't make something help happen. It receives what's already been done. And so Jesus has already done what faith does it allows us to enter in and receive what he's already done for us. He wants us to have uh, the proper balance in these areas. And so there's, there's this balance. Wasn't it Dr. Cole who said that balance is one of the keys of life or something like that? You know, and I think oftentimes we look at things and it's, it's, it's either or. But in many areas, it's, it's having a balance in our life. You know, and if we don't have that balance, um, we enter into extremism. And the problem with extremism, and the same thing is true, whether it be grace or faith, uh, it's, it's poison. Uh, if it's totally grace, it's going to lead to lasciviousness. And if it's totally faith, uh, it's going to lead to legalism. And I don't know about you, I don't want either one of those. I want what the balance of those are going to produce in my life, and that's going to be a, a balanced life where I receive everything that Jesus has made available to me. In your notes, it talks about grace has made healing, deliverance, prosperity, and everything else we need in life access, accessible to us. But too many people see this as a fable. In other words, they don't. They look at it and they think. That's, that's not available to me. Yes, it is. The way that we receive it is we receive it by faith, by recognizing what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. And we appropriate that for our lives. And so let's get started in our notes this morning. Most of these scriptures are scriptures that we've, we've already read. Um, but we're going to go over them again and again and again. And again, uh, because we need to, so that we can apply them in our life. <clears throat> Heard a guy talking one time, they, they got a new preacher. Yeah, and so, if Isaac does this, you'll know what's going on. They got a new preacher. First Sunday he gets up and he starts preaching. It was a really <laughs> good message. Everybody was just so complimentary to him after the service, how good it was and how blessed they were. And, how excited they were and everything else. And so, comes back the next Sunday and preaches the same message. And so now, you know, it was really good. You know, it was a good message. Comes back third Sunday and he preaches the same message. Well, people aren't quite as excited after the third Sunday with the same message. And so he comes back the fourth week and preaches the same message. And so the elders, and we got a couple of them sitting in the back row, so you'll know if they show up in the office after the service. They pulled the pastor aside, the new pastor, and they said, uh, 
You know, that message you've been preaching is a really good message. But do you have anything else? He says, oh yeah, I do. He says, well, why don't you preach one of those? And he says, well, I will as soon as you start doing this. <laughs> now all of a sudden, humor left. You know, but, but so anyway, if Isaac's preached the same message four weeks in a row, <clears throat> what he's saying is, when are you going to start doing that? I know you're hitting it. Well, I don't know. You might. You can be pretty stubborn. So anyway, we gotta have we gotta have this balance in our life. And so 2 Peter 1 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our life, our Lord. Um, What's significant is this is this past tense. It's multiplied to you, but it's through the knowledge. And so what that really says is, you know, we can only appropriate grace to the extent that we know what God has made available to us. You know, and so that's why it's so important for us to, to know what the Word of God says. You know, <clears throat> When I got saved, I'm go through the story. I read that on Sunday. But when I got I got saved, you know, I knew I was saved. But then I began to hear about healing. What God had done for me. But you know what? I didn't have to reject the message that I heard about salvation. I was able to build upon that with healing because of what I'd heard. And then I began to hear about prosperity. The same thing with prosperity. I was able to build upon that. Heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues. Didn't have to forsake what I'd already learned. I was able to add that. You know, that knowledge allowed me to add what, to what I already had. Same thing with deliverance. And so that's how our that's how our Christian walk is to be. It's to be building upon precept upon precept upon precept you know the bible talks about going from glory to glory to glory well we talked about it last week i think we're going to talk about it a little bit later on again um, this evening but what, what is glory glory is god's truth his word his promises being manifest in our lives how's god glorified in this earth he's glorified through you and me as he is being manifest through our lives, as he's being demonstrated through our lives. And so he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And, and so it's, it's based upon the finished, the completed works of Christ. And so the moment that we receive Jesus, all those graces, everything that Jesus has done for us, is part of who we are. But we don't know about it. You know, for years and years we talked about trying to get peace. We didn't realize we already had peace. It was imparted to us the very moment that we received Christ. And so, by faith then, we live and we walk in peace because of what Jesus has already done for us. In Ephesians, the first chapter, third verse is in your notes. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has? We must say, say has. <clears throat> I know I'm from this old time. 
But even in Minnesota, the has means past tense. It's already been done. So blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Blessed means that we've been empowered. We've been empowered to receive all of those blessings. Remember when I first, early on in my Christian walk and we came across this passage and you'd bring up that passage and people say, well, that's, that's heavenly blessings. It's not talking about earthly things. It's talking about heavenly blessings. Well, you know, I don't know about you. I grew up in church. I'm going to a denominational church. And every Sunday, we prayed a particular prayer. We didn't know what we were praying, but we prayed a particular prayer every Sunday. And that prayer was, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth. As it is in heaven. And so, if somebody wants to raise an argument with you that that's talking about heavenly blessings, well, praise the Lord. He wants those heavenly blessings upon us on earth. As it is in heaven. And of course, the other side of it is, I'm not going to need healing when I get to heaven. Because I'm going to have a new body. It's not going to have any of these flaws. I'm not going to need prosperity in heaven. Because in heaven, every need is met because I'm in the very presence of God. I won't, I won't need peace and joy when I get to heaven. Because I'll be in the very presence of peace and joy. You need a you realize that peace and joy is a person. You know, that's why in the world people can't find peace and joy because they try to find it in stuff. You'll never find peace and joy in stuff. You find peace and joy in the person of Jesus. And so that's why when we seek first the kingdom, all of these things are added unto us. Why? Because when we seek the kingdom, we come into contact with Jesus. We recognize, we acknowledge Him, we, we experience Him as we wouldn't in no other way. And so that, that nature then is beginning, is being released in our life. But there's that need going back to 1 Peter. We've got to have the knowledge. We've got to know what's been made available to us or we'll never appropriate it. We'll never reach out and receive it. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so that means faith doesn't see it yet, but it reaches out because we have hope, because of what the Word promises, and we say that belongs to me right now because Jesus purchased it for me. I may not see it, I may not feel it, but it still belongs to me because of what Jesus, that, that's what receiving it by faith is. Hope is when we look into the Word and we see what He's made available to us. But you know what? We can, we can read the Word, we can study the Word, but never never avail ourselves to it. Never receive it. Make it ours. But the moment that we begin to make it ours, it becomes part of who we are. We experience the fullness of what He wants for, for each and every one of us. Praise the Lord. Philemon 1.6 That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement 
of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Where is it? It's in you. What are we to acknowledge? What's in us in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. That the sharing of your faith may be effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And so because we're in Christ Jesus, it's already in us. But well, we've got to acknowledge it. We've got to agree with it. Recognize that it's there. That, that's really what it comes down to. It's recognizing what Jesus has already done for us. Because otherwise, we're still trying to trying to work it out. We're trying to get it. We're trying to appropriate it. Communication is how we release, how we transfer. You know, in Romans, it says that if we believe in our heart and we, what? Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. So what are we doing? We're, we're communicating. We're acknowledging what Jesus has already done for us. <clears throat> Jesus didn't provide for your salvation at that moment. He provided for your salvation 2,000 years prior to that. But the moment that you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what did you do? You acknowledged, you recognized what Jesus had done for you, and so you, you verbalized it. And so that's what we do with the promises of God. That's when we communicate with one another. You ever... You ever notice this that when you when you when you get a revelation of something or, or something becomes real to you and you share it with somebody, it becomes realer. You know, it, it, it because it, it gives it life because you begin to you begin to verbalize it. You know, and, and especially if they come against you. Now maybe you give up. But you know. <clears throat> It's kind of like you call my brother a dirty, lousy sinner. Now, I can do that. But don't you do that, because that's my brother. And that's kind of how it is when we begin to verbalize truth. People may come against it, but, but what happens is you, you, you stick in your heels and you say, no, I, I, I saw that in the Bible. I know that that's true. And so it, it, it solidifies it in your life. I remember... Shortly after I was saved, you know, there in, uh, we used to have, uh, we don't do it anymore in, in the city, but we used to have uh, a week of prayer. And it was there in a particular time of the year. And uh, we'd, we'd go to different churches. You all remember that? You know, most of you never went to them, so you won't remember. <laughs> you know, how do you know that, Pastor David? I never saw you there. You know, so, but, but what we'd do is that you would have a lunch together. It was a fundraiser. And the churches would complain that we weren't charging enough because they couldn't make enough. And, but then afterwards, we'd have a, a service that was to be led by the, the laity. And it was that, that first year after I'd gotten saved. And so somebody <clears throat> asked me if I would share my testimony. And so I had to go up in front of the church and, and you know, I, and you know, you remember my testimony. I was afraid to get up in front of people. I mean, I had nine, or, well, actually there were 11 of us in my graduating class. And, 
and I would I would panic and freeze up if I had to give a report in front of the class because I was so fearful. And so here I was asked to give my testimony. So I get up in front of everybody in the church and I, I share this this testimony. And, and I don't know if it did anything for anybody else, but it, it did wonders for me because I, I verbalized what it meant to me and I found out that it did do something for other people. The majority of them had ticked them off because I didn't realize that in the church I grew up in, you didn't have a born-again testimony. <laughs> but I did. You know, and so I, I, I thought it would be really well received and it really, really wasn't. But anyway, but it, but it, it, it solidified it in me. It did something on the inside of me. And that's what it does when we begin to verbalize these truths that Jesus has provided for us. Let me read that again. That the sharing of your faith, now, now the sharing of your faith, that's basically what Jesus has done in your life. You know, we, we need to share our faith. And people say, well, Pastor, I just, I just don't feel very equipped. Well, did you experience Jesus? If you've experienced Jesus, you are equipped to share your faith. Now, you might want to work on it a little bit so that you have some scripture to insert in there. But if you've experienced Jesus, you have a testimony. In fact, in Revelation, it says that the sharing of your testimony is a spirit of prophecy. That means that you're, you're getting beyond the intellect, and, and it's like you're prophesying into the life of somebody. When you begin to share what Jesus is, I'm not calling you a prophet. But I'm saying it's the spirit of prophecy. It goes, it goes deeper than we have any idea as to what it, what it does in our life. And so you have that. And so you share your faith. You share what Jesus has done in your life. And, you know, the thing about it is, is, is every time we do that, it gets stronger. Is stronger. I mean, hopefully we're helping the person we're sharing with, but we become stronger every time we share what Jesus has done in our life. Um, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And so it's really, it's not bragging on self. It's, it's telling others, this is, this is what Jesus has done for me. You know, and it's not talking about a false humility or anything like that. It's acknowledging what Jesus has done in your life. And it's a wonderful thing. In Proverbs 23, 7, you know, all familiar with this proverb, it says, the man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, so as we share those things, what happens is it, it, it changes what we think. We no longer think lack. We think abundance. We no longer think sickness. We no longer, you know, when uh, fall comes along and then the weather begins to change, we no longer have the, uh, well, it's flu season. You know, every year I get the flu, the flu season. So I'm, I'm sure it's coming, you know, flu. Because it's the flu season. And I was uptown and everybody is sneezing around me, so I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get the flu. Well, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Well, our thinking needs to change too. Not me. 
I used to get the flu, but you know what? I just, this doesn't affect me anymore. It doesn't, doesn't touch me. Why? Because you're redeemed. It's not because of your great willpower that you don't get the flu anymore. It's because you're the redeemed of the Lord. And so flu has no right to you. You know, I, and, I, and you, you've probably all heard this before, but I, I love this story of John G. Lake. He's known as the Apostle of Africa. And uh, he was in, in Africa during the bubonic plague, and he had several pastors that were under him. And, and uh, But the, the plague hit, and people were dying by the, by the scores. And, and uh, you know, some of his pastors were even even dying, but John G. Lake, uh, he began to go out and, and minister to the people and help um, gather together the dead bodies and so forth. And eventually there was a hospital ship from Britain that came on down uh, to, to vaccinate everybody. That's a sad thing, there was a vaccination for it, but it, it hadn't been available to the people. And so they began to vaccinate everybody and they came to um, John G. Lake and they wanted to vaccinate him and he said, well, I don't need that. And um, they said, yeah, you know, really with what you've been doing, you should, you should probably have the plague right now, but you don't. You've been helping everybody. And he says, well, <clears throat> I don't have it because I'm permeated with the life of God. And, and he says, you can do this and you can test it out. And he says, you can take some of the saliva from somebody's mouth right after they died and, and you find that the germs, the plague is alive in that saliva and it will live for a certain length of time after they've died. And I'll put my hand under a microscope and you can put those, those live germs on my flesh and the moment that it touches my flesh, it'll die. Well, they did it. And they did they die. And see, now, I may not testify all the time that my body is permeated with the life of God. But you know, when sickness tries to come against me or somebody starts talking that way, I begin, I get, a, I get an image in my mind. I see John G. Lake's hand underneath the microscope and them putting germs on it and seeing those germs die. As a man think and thinks in his heart, so is he. And so we, we've been programmed with a lot of doubt, unbelief, expectations of, of bad things. Well, that's what Romans 12.2 is talking about when it's talking about renewing our mind. It's talking about changing the way that we think, the way that we think about things. And so when we hear the the negative reports rather than immediately looking at it and thinking that's going to come against me we ought to be thinking no it's not going to happen to me because I'm the redeemed of the Lord and I refuse to receive it in Jesus name as a man thinks in his heart so is he in Romans 5 2 it says through whom also we have access by faith to this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, through which we have access by faith to the grace. So how do we have access to grace? By faith. 
goes right around right along with Ephesians 2, which we're going to look at in a moment. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not out of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Well, we have access through faith to the grace that Jesus has provide, provided for each and every one of us. And so that's why we need to know what Jesus has provided for us. We need to know the promises that have been given to us. We need to know what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Because every one of those things, we have access to it. But our access is through faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so if we haven't heard about it, we have no access to it because we don't have faith. Because faith will come in no other way. It comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. In John 1.14, we looked at this last week, it talks about Jesus, how He came and how He came in, in grace and truth. That describes who Jesus is. See, grace and truth, going back to what I said earlier, grace and truth isn't just simply a subject. It isn't a, a study that we go through. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus. He is truth. Thy word is truth, and Jesus is the word. He is grace. Everything that we have was received through the suffering that we, he went through in his body. He, he paid that price so that you and I might experience the fullness of it. But going back to Romans once again, it says, Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And what is the glory? It's the blessings being manifest in our life. How's God's glorified in the earth? He's glorified through you and me. As He is manifest. Is God glorified through healings? Yes, of course He is. But you know what? That, that glory has to flow through somebody for it to be able to be manifested. And so, for you to live the victorious life, what's taking place? God's being glorified through you. But it's, it's the Christ in you that makes that available, that makes that possible. Let me read Romans 4.16 to you. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. You know, and it's basically talking about how we cannot lay hold of the grace that's been made available to us in, other other, in any other way other than faith. <clears throat> I don't know if you've noticed a lot of the passages that we've been talking about the last few weeks, including tonight. They're in, in the same context, in the same passage, grace and faith are being used. Because grace and faith are essential for us to truly experience the fullness of what God has for us. But Romans 4.16, the Amplified, it says, Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. What's the outcome of faith? Inheriting the promise. And <clears throat> depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and inherits of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. He's our father. And so, how do we receive it? We receive it by faith. And what do we receive? The unmerited favor. And what's he basically saying here? 
you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna earn it. You're not gonna work for it. You're not gonna ever get to a place where you deserve it. I sometimes think, now this is me, okay? This this is me. Everybody say this is Pastor Dave. This is me. I think sometimes because we think we've earned it. We disqualify ourselves because we're no longer operating in faith. You know, well, why did they get that new car? I deserve the new car. Yeah, you disqualified yourself because you based it on your efforts and not on putting your confidence and trust in Jesus. You know, that, that's why the scripture says we need to be able to rejoice with those that rejoice and we propose that we. But you know what? If we, we, we can't rejoice with those that rejoice because oftentimes we think we're the ones that deserved it, not them. And we can't weep with those that weep because we think they deserved it. You know, where what we ought to be doing is believing for them to be able to come out of it and come alongside them and lift them out of the pit that they're in that's causing the weeping. And so... Uh, it's, it's so key that we recognize and acknowledge what Jesus has truly done for us, that it's by grace. It's not by my effort. It's not by human effort. It's totally what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. We can't work for our healing. You know, and again, that's why it, it, takes, it takes faith and grace. You know, I remember, you know, just looking for every book that told me what I needed to do to get whatever it is I wanted in my life. You know, you know, seven steps to prosperity. And so you get that book and you read the book and, and you go through those seven steps and then, well, I've done the work. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, um, what was the um, old movie. Um, I can't think of it. I'm sailing, I'm sailing. What about Bob? What about Bob? You know, what about Bob? You know, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. You know, and that, that's how we approach it. God, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. And he said, stop it. Stop it. Go sailing. You know, because I've already done it all. And so what's our responsibility? It's to recognize and acknowledge and receive what he's already done for us. Now there's a spiritual movie. What about Bob? I mean, there are so many, there are so many spiritual truths. I've met most of those people in the last 39 years. You know, but it's, there, there's, really there, there is. You know, even the baby stepping. You know, well, you're, you're, what are you doing? You're moving forward. You may not be making great headway. You may be not be leaving a weight behind you. But, but you're, you're moving forward. And that's where we need to be. We need to be moving forward. But it's recognizing what Jesus has done for us. In Ephesians 2, verse 5 and then verse 8, it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Now, why, why does he put this in here? Because he wants us to understand 
that we did we had absolutely nothing to do with it absolutely nothing even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ for by grace you've been saved you had absolutely nothing to do with earning your salvation you were just a miserable sinner and Jesus died for you for by grace you've been saved through faith not of yourself you didn't have anything to do with it not of yourself it's a gift from God you know and even as Isaac quoted me Monday night you know sometimes the problem with Christianity is just too easy because we want we want to think we've done something we want to think we've done something to earn it but you know what we haven't Jesus did it all our responsibility is to recognize I can't do anything without him and therefore I receive from Jesus I have no effort of my own I just simply receive what he has already done for me um, you know in, in Titus 2 it says that that grace for salvation was a, a made available to everybody to, to all men and I just think that's what's so sad you know to, to me the, the sadness the sorrow of hell is that the price was paid for everyone everyone every single individual that spends eternity in hell Jesus paid the price for them so that they might have eternal life but they refuse but they refuse to receive what Jesus has done for them you know we, we just we just have to make this decision because you know that's that's not just true of eternal life it's, it's true of every single one of the promises that we can find in the scriptures that Jesus provided for us it's available to each and every one of us he hasn't chosen a select few and say well you know this is where some people get caught up in predestination you know well, well some are predestined to to be saved some are predestined for hell some are predestined to be healed some are predestined to remain sick some are predestined to have a uh, an abundant life others are predestined to just barely squeak by well then if that's the case you know God's not God's a respecter of persons and how, how can we how can we, we be confident in anything but you know what we can be confident in all things because it tells us that it was made available to all and so whatever doesn't matter what the promise is every one of the promises of God was made available to each and every one of us and we have to be confident we have to be sure of that because every one of the lies of the devil comes against us and wants to tell us just the opposite of that oh yeah that's for everybody else but really doesn't apply to me yeah it applies to you it applies to me it belongs to us because that's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us let's look at mark the 10th chapter i think i got it in your notes 
But uh, in Mark, the 10th chapter, we're going to start in verse um, 49. And it says, So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. You know, this is when the blind man is crying out to Jesus. He's heading down to Jerusalem, I think, from Jericho, and he's traveling along. And, and um, let me look it up. I think this is blind Lazarus. And uh, he began, or Barnabas, rather, and he begins to cry out to him. And, you know, everybody is telling him, just this point now, you're embarrassing us. And so, so Jesus stood still, stopped him in his tracks, and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to, to Jesus. And I, I didn't know this before. You know, we, we talk about um, Joseph and his coat of many colors. You know, that um, the significance of his coat was uh, it, it showed his favor with his father. You know, um, in the book of Galatians, it talks about how when you have a, a son is born into a household, um, that son, uh, there is a, under their culture, there's a, a slave that he's assigned to, and he basically lives with that slave, and that slave teaches him and instructs him and raises him up, and at, at a certain age, I think it's 12 or something like that, he would go through a, a ceremony that was known as a ceremony of Terra Virilla, I believe it was called. And what that ceremony was, was a ceremony of, of manhood. That he went from being a, 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 a child to a huos, a mature son of God, or a son of his father. And when he went through that process, he would take off his cloak of childhood, and he would put on a new cloak or a new mantle, and that it would, it would distinguish him as a mature son now, that he was entitled to all that um, the heir to the household was entitled to. He would sit at the table with everybody, all the other adults now. He would no longer sleep with the slaves. He would sleep with in the household with the rest of the family. He was entitled to all the blessings that went along with that because he went through that ceremony. What's that got to do with it? Well, I never realized this before, but until just recently, that when when blind Bartimaeus threw off his garment, there was a particular garment that all the blind people were required to wear. And the reason that they wore that was it, it signified that they were blind. You know, today we have people that walk around with a white cane, and if you see that white cane, you know that um, they're they're impaired, impaired with their, their sight and so forth. Well, they have that garment. But notice what he did. Jesus called him. The first thing that he did was he threw off the garment of blindness. Just a thought. I have a feeling he knew it was coming. Because Jesus stopped and he had heard about Jesus. Let me tell you something. 
When you were born again, you exchanged your robe. The Bible says that we were given a white robe, the robe of righteousness. Again, this this is Pastor Day. This is what I think. I think if we could see in the spirit realm, we wouldn't see all our different colored coats and shirts and everything else. We'd see a robe of righteousness. We'd see a white robe on each other. Now that's just me. I can't prove it. Just, just what I think. Because I believe that that, that robe that signified my dead, hopeless position. When I received Christ, I disrobed, I threw that off, and I put on a new robe. And it's a robe of righteousness. And what that robe represents is that everything that Jesus has done for me, I'm entitled to. You know, isn't it interesting? We talk about growing up spiritually. You know, in the in the Greek, um, there, there's four different names that are that are used for children. There's technon. There's um, I can't think of them right now. The only one that I can think of is huos. And huos in the Greek means a mature son. And do you realize that as a as a Christian, nepios, that's a baby. In 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 as a Christian, when the Bible makes reference to us as sons of God, it never talks about us as nepios. It never talks about us as technon. It talks about us as huos. In other words, from the moment that you were born again, you were acknowledged and recognized by God as a huos, as a mature son of God. We may not walk in the fullness of that, but what that represents is that everything that belongs to a mature son of God belongs to you and me the moment that we were born again. That's good, isn't it? But it's the truth. And so the only reason we're not entering into it is because we don't know him. We don't know what he's done for us. We don't know what he's prepared. We may have an intellectual um, knowledge of it, but we don't have a revelation that it truly belongs to me. It's mine right now. Well, here's Bartimaeus. Jesus, the Master, calls him. And this is, this is even before this death, burial, and resurrection. And so what does he do? The first thing he does, he throws off his garment. And he rose and he came to Jesus. And so Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Interesting question. He said, and the blind man said, and Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabboni, I want to receive my sight. I, I, I thought what was interesting about this is remember the lame or no was it the lame man or the man I think it was the man that brought his son to Jesus who was demon possessed and Jesus said and he says to Jesus if you will not you know if you will if you're willing you can make him whole and Jesus said Behold, he demonstrated there he was willing. But you know what I think is so interesting about that is he didn't even ask Jesus if he would. Because Jesus just brought him with the question, what do you want me to do for you? 
And I think oftentimes Jesus is saying to us, what do you want me to do for you? We say, well, you know, I really like you to do this for me, but, you know, I'm really not worthy. And Jesus says, well, then I guess we just won't give it to you. No, no, no. When he, when he asks, let's ask him. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I need healing. Thank you. What does he do? Brings healing into our life. And the blind man said to him, Rabbani, that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And he immediately received his sight and followed Jesus down the road. Immediately. Immediately. But you know what? I believe he had an expectation. And if there's anything that I think that, that hinders us of, as, as believers is a lack of expectation. You know, well, you know, Pastor, I don't want to get false hope. How can we have false hope in Jesus? You know, I, I've had people say that to me. You know, when I go visit people in the hospital and we pray for them, and, you know, I don't, you know, unless they want to. You know, because sometimes people are just ready to go home. You know, and uh, man, if somebody wants to go home, I'm not going to hinder them. I just pray that it'll be a quick transition. But, you know, I don't. When I, when I go and pray for somebody in the hospital, I don't care what it is that, you know, is coming against them. I pray the Word of God, and I expect healing to manifest in their life. And people say, well, Pastor, don't you, don't you believe that you're giving them false hope? to me. By the way, this isn't going to happen. But if some disease attaches itself to my body, I'm, I'm going to believe for healing until I suck my last breath of air. Well, pastor, that's, that's a false hope. No. That's hope. I don't want to die hopeless. Thinking, oh, this I guess this is my law. No, no, no. Let's let's die in hope. Let's believe God. I know that doesn't make any sense, but it makes sense to me. Mark the sixth chapter. Forty first verse, and we'll close with this. You know I will close with this. It's the last scripture I have. Mark the 6th chapter, the 41st verse. When he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed, and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples um, to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. 45th verse. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethesda while he sent the multitude away. So here we see that he had just fed the thousands. You know, because of the word, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you. And I'm praying this not because you need to hear it. You already know what I need. And I know you've already heard me, but for their benefit. And so he, he prayed, fed the thousands, 
And then he sent them away. And it says, he went and sent them away, and he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at the oars, and the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He would have passed them by. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out. You know, the more accurate translation is a phantom. You know, the reason why that's significant is um, the fishermen, one of their, what would you call, not tradition, but superstitions, was that when they were about to die at sea, the phantom would come and get them. I heard somebody talking, what was, was that you talking about? How the Bible would make tremendous movies if we didn't do it so spiritually? <clears throat> I mean, could you imagine that as a movie? That would be so cool. You know, the phantom is coming to get us. And, uh, anyway. So anyway, that's why they cried out. They were, they, were, they were full of fear. Not just fear because they were in a storm. They were in fear because they thought they were dead meat. Well, let me rephrase that. They thought they were fish bait. They were going to die out there. And so um, they saw him coming and immediately, um, let's see, where am I? So on sea, and supposing it was a ghost, he cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. He went up into the boat to them. And the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. In other words, they were, they were shocked. They couldn't believe what they had just experienced. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now, we, we've talked about it from time to time. Miracles, miracles are wonderful, but miracles will never sustain you. Because here you have the disciples. Now, now I don't know about you, I, I look at this and I think, Surely, I would have thought differently. Well, probably not if I hadn't been born again, which I wouldn't have been. But they just thought, saw a couple of loaves and a couple of fish multiplied to feed thousands. They saw that. They experienced that. And here, the night has not even passed. They're into the night. I mean, it's not like that was last week or last year. That was like six hours ago. And so here Jesus comes walking to them on the sea, which freaked him out a little bit. And then he gets into the boat, and he gets into the boat, and everything is completely calm, just like that. Because remember, these are fishermen. And so that means they're familiar with the sea. 
And the sea doesn't calm down that quickly. And it was completely calm. And they marveled. They were amazed. You know, some of the things that we marvel at, some of the things that amaze us, ought not to have that great of an effect upon us because we ought to be able to recognize that's my Jesus. You just did it again. This, the supernatural ought to be part of the natural in our life. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. Let me, let me rephrase that. The supernatural ought to be part of the norm of our life. Seeing God move in miraculous ways. But you know, I think part of it is, though, that when we begin to experience that, um, all of a sudden, when something supernatural happens in our life, we just see it part of life. You receive favor in your life, whether it be in your job or just in a purchase of something or whatever it may be. And uh, what is it? It's, it's the favor of God in your life. And so it's not, oh, 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 God. No, it's because you know, I'm one of his, it's the, that's the norm for me. You know, and uh, I, I shared a little bit last week how or Sunday sometime I shared it how I met with Dave Rowell and we had lunch together and hadn't seen him for a long time and we were just talking and and uh, you know both of us are a couple of old preachers that came out of the world and Jesus just totally turned our lives around and blessed us so abundantly we can hardly stand it and both of us were just talking about you know it just it just almost doesn't seem fair we're just so blessed but it, 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 it becomes to where it's, it's the norm. It's, it's not like you're going around trying to get blessed. I mean, it's, it chases us down. But it, what is, how does one problem go? You know, that, um, but anyway, it's chasing you down. So stop running so hard. Allow the blessings to get you, to catch you. Because it's everything that Jesus has done for us. Amen. Remember next week, no uh, Wednesday evening service. Um, get a head start for Thanksgiving. You might want to do some push-ups or something. I won't follow that advice. But.